Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh-out-loud humor and hitting-you-between-the-eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants, because here we go. All right, so we've had a lot of discourse in chapter 8, and now we're going to have a story that is really going to be a portrait uh, of all the discourse. I mean, he has used all kinds of logic to tell uh, the religious leaders who he is, and they're not seeing it. And so we now step into a beautiful story about a man that is born blind and Jesus was healed, would heal him. And it's like it is a portrait of what has been going on. So let's look at this story together in John chapter 9. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Hmm. Who sinned? Why would they ask that? Because they had a belief that sin was tied to sickness or suffering. And you're going to see why they had that belief, because later on, uh, the Pharisees are actually going to speak to this in their accusation. And so they're asking, why was he born blind? Is it something the parents did, or was it something he did? Which is, that's really interesting, because if he was born blind, how could he have done anything to be born blind? But this was their idea, so they asked that question. And basically, he doesn't go into any kind of theology lesson. He just says, neither. That's not the case. And so he, Jesus answered, it was, not this, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world." Now, I think that verse right there, when Jesus says, it was not that the man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Do you see how it says, and the, that the works of God might be displayed in him, period? Okay? That's really confusing if you think about it. Because if someone reads that, they might think that God caused the evil or the suffering so that he might be glorified. Hmm. That's a little janky, okay? That's some interesting theology that God causes suffering so that he might be glorified. But if you truly look at the original and you research it, most theologians believe that the latter phrase does not belong to that section. It belongs to the next one. So let me read it to you that way. It is not that this man sinned or his parents, period. But that the works of God might but that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I like that. But that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me. So that phrase actually goes with verse four. God did not cause suffering so that he could use it to glorify himself. Sin, not personal sin, universal, caused suffering. But Jesus is saying, but so that God might be glorified, let's do what I was sent to do while I am here. 
God does not cause suffering to bring himself glory, but he can use suffering for our good or our growth and for his glory. So what is that saying? He's saying, listen, he didn't cause it so that he could be glorified in it, okay? Sin universally, the brokenness that sin uh, brought about in our world caused suffering. But he is saying, but so that God can get glory, let's do what I came to do. Because I am the light of the world. And while I'm in the light of the world, let's get this done. Because there's coming a time when you can't do the work. And so it is really interesting because then when you look at like my own life and you're saying, okay, God allows suffering. It's different to be uh, to, in his sovereignty to allow it rather than to be the agent of delivery. But what God, God did not do it to me. He didn't cause the suffering. The brokenness of this world caused the suffering, brokenness of people, the brokenness of uh, sin and death. But what can happen? God can use that suffering for my growth so that I can lean into him and I can grow and for his glory. And isn't isn't that what we want? We hear all the time that God can use our story. Even all the brokenness and the suffering in our story, God can use that to bring him great glory. Look what I've done. Look what I did in this suffering. Look what has come out of it. I mean, I would never want all the suffering that I have gone through, but I sure am glad that God can use that story to draw other people to him or to display the glory of the Lord. The story that I go about this season sharing, honestly, is very costly to me. It it is a hard story to share. Every night I get up uh, that I do that, and I literally bleed out on the stage, and I relive it over and over and over again. But the fact is, if God can use that story to bring people to himself, and that he can be glorified, I think it honors God. And honestly, I think it honors Zach. And so that, that is the thing. And I do believe that phrase. So I mark that in my Bible. I, I put a period and I add it to the other because I do not believe, theologically speaking, that God is the agent of uh, suffering. It goes on to say, Oh, and by the way, I love it that it says we need to work while it is light because there's coming a time when we can't, right? If I'm still here, I have a job to do, right? He is the light of the world. And if he lives in me, then my job is to what? Be the light of the world. And I can be that light through my story, through whatever is happening, I can shine a light. And so as long as I am here, while it is day, while I am in this earth, I have a job to do. That is to shine the light of Jesus Christ in a really dark world. Is that easy? No. Some days, do you feel bright? No. But you know what? It's so funny. It's like I've told you story after story. Usually it's on those days where I just get the best opportunities. Have you ever noticed that? Just like when you're crabby or you're mad at him or you're sad or you're grieving, it seems like in those moments, he seems to put me in places where I have these opportunities uh, to display my light even in the midst of pain. And so it goes on to say, 
Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which meant scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Ooh, I love this. He said, it says he spit on the ground and made mud. I, I just sat and thought about that for a while. I mean, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and all things were made through him. How? Genesis 2, how did he make man? He leaned down in the dust, and with his hands, he formed man like a potter forms clay. And he spit into the dust, and he made that clay, and he anointed his eyes. And look at the stories we just came off of. We're, in the, we're ending the, you know, the Feast of Tabernacles was last week. And in those times, he's saying to them, what? I am the living water. I am the source of all things. In other words, I'm the rock that was struck. I am that living water that sustained you through the wilderness. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For the scripture says, out of his belly will come forth rivers of living water. And so do you remember we had the whole water libation um, every morning? And so you have this scene. So you have this rock uh, spitting in my mind, this picture of this living water into the dust. And with his hands, he forms clay and he puts it on the man's eyes and anoints him. And then it says that he sent him um, down to the pool of Siloam. Do you understand where he is? Where is he right now? Well, he's been up. Remember the last thing is he said, I'm the light of the world. We know that he was in the um, court of the women. And so he is in the temple area and he's walking around. He sees this blind man. And so he does this whole spitting in the dirt and he makes clay and he puts it on his eyes and he sends him the same route that they would have gone for the water libation all the way down to the pool of Siloam. And so you have this beautiful picture of the living water spitting in the dust, putting it on his eyes, sending him down to uh, Siloam. And then I love all of the play on words because it says that Siloam literally means what? Sent, okay? All through uh, John, Jesus talks about himself being sent, let me just give you a few references. You can just write them down. I'm not gonna go through them. But 434, 523, and verse 37, 728, 826, 1244, and 1424. Those are times when he talks about that he has been sent by the Father. He has been sent. So in other words, let me give you this whole play on words. This blind man is being sent to go wash his eyes in a place that is called sent by the one who is sent. Do you love play on words like this? I love it. He has been sent to the pool of Siloam, which means sent by the one who has been Sent, why? Because he is the living water. And it is all playing out, every part of this is playing out to what Jesus has been claiming to be. The one who had just described himself as the living water, water from the rock, 
And then the whole water libation points to it. The blind man receives his sight. Um, there are other places in scripture where blind men receive their sight. And we're gonna find out that this guy is unique, but there, I mean, this is, this is occurring in other gospels. There are other stories of it. For example, in Mark 10, do you remember blind Bartimaeus? Jesus walks by and blind Bartimaeus calls out, have mercy on me, um, son of David. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do? And he says, let me recover my sight. Okay, so what's the difference in him? He wasn't born blind. He lost his sight. Many people lost their sight from disease and, and a lot of times from a water, from things that would go wrong with water. But he says, may I recover my sight? I want to see. And so Jesus did that. And he says, go on your way. Your faith has made you whole. So in other words, he says, please give me eyes to see. This is what I want. I want to see. And Jesus says, you want to see? Okay, see. And he heals him. Matthew 9, 27 talks about two blind men. And he, Jesus asked the two blind men, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said what? Yes. And he gave them their sight and he says, your faith has made you whole. And so in this sense, we see that, you know, there is this atmosphere of you believe and then you see. You believe, there's an element of believing and then seeing. Isn't that the whole story of Thomas that we're gonna look at later, right? Um, he, had to he had to see to believe and he's like, no, I'm gonna tell you what, you're seeing to believe, but blessed will be those who believe and will see. And so you have this whole thing. But now it continues. And so you remember where it says that the works uh, that the works of God might be displayed in him? Well, now we're gonna see that they are displayed and they don't know what to do with it. So look at uh, verse eight. It says, the neighbors of those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but it is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. I love this. I love it that the neighbors are trying to figure out the situation. Okay, what in the world is going on? And the first thing they try to decide is, is this the man we think it is? And this cracks me up. Because some are saying it is the man. Others are saying, I don't think it's the man, but I think it kind of looks like the man, but I don't think it's the man. And did you notice that the whole time, what is he doing? He's like, I'm the man. It's almost like they're having an entire discussion back and forth about him as if he's not even there. I mean, it seems like he was blind and now his, has his sight, but they're deaf. You know, he's like, no, wait a minute. I'm telling you, I am the man, you know, and I can't imagine, you know, how different he looks. I'm sure, I don't know what he looked like, but to be born blind, I'm sure his eyes, his face looked extremely different once he had vibrant eyes 
in his face, and they're trying to decide, is this really him? Because he is going to look different. But I mean, he is there present saying, no, it's me. It's me. I'm him. And so I love that uh, so much. And then they go, okay, okay, it's you. All right. Then how did it happen? And he tells him the story and he makes his first proclamation and he gives credit to a man by the name of Jesus. That's his first confession. He says, Jesus, the man known as Jesus healed me. And he tells his story and they say, okay, then where is he? And he goes, I have no idea. I mean, I mean, I love this man. He tells exactly what he knows. He holds true what he knows. And if he doesn't know, he doesn't know. He's like, I don't know, but this is what happened. He sent me to the pool of Siloam. I came back. I had my eyes. It's me. I don't know. This is how it happened. This is who did it. I have no idea where he is. And so these people are just blown away. And so what do they do? Probably what we would do. They call the pastors. They go to the religious leaders. Like, this is beyond them. How can this happen? This is a miracle. So if there's a miracle, who do you go to? The people who should be expert on miracles. So they go to the religious leaders. It says in verse 13, they brought to the, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. I love simple testimonies, right? That's it. Some of the Pharisees says, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. <laughs> so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. <laughs> I love this. I love it so much. They, okay, so people can't wrap their minds around this, so they go to the experts. So we know that it was the Sabbath, right, when it happened. The Pharisees ask him to tell the story, and he tells it. His story never changes. But many of the Pharisees insist because he has broken the Sabbath, according to their understanding, that he must be a sinner. But then other ones are like, uh, wait a minute, that's creating a much bigger problem. Because we have taught a sinner could never do such a thing because God does not answer the prayer or hear the voice of sinners. And so there is great debate. <laughs> so they go back and they ask him, do you not find that funny? So the neighbors have brought it to the experts. The experts are divided, right? They're like, wait a minute, this can't be. He's broken the Sabbath. He must be a sinner. But wait, sinners can't do what he just did. And in their debate, they look back to him and say, well, what do you think? When do you think was the last time these Pharisees, who, by the way, do you remember how rudely they talked about the crowds, the everyday people, the uneducated, they know nothing. And now in this debate, they turn to him and say, well, what do you think? You're the one he healed. And he goes, it's, it was easy. There was no debate. He's a prophet. He is saying he was sent. See what I did right there? He was sent by God. He is a prophet. That, that is the only 
That is the only answer. And so there was great division. Of course there was great division. That's what happened. John 3, 19, right? And the light has come into the world. And there are those who love the darkness, right? And they would turn back. They would see their works and they would go back to the darkness. And there were others who would step into the light. He is the light of the world. And with him, when he shows up, there will be division. He did not come to judge the, or condemn the world. He came to save, but he came as the light of the world. The judgment happens inside of us. We are condemned already unless we walk into the light. Isn't it once again a picture of the, um, the scene I told you about in Exodus where um, the the Egyptians are following the Israelites coming to get them and the cloud moves behind them. And in that story, it says towards God's people, there was light, but towards the Egyptian, it was like what? Darkness. And that is what is happening here. It's causing great division. So in verse 18, it says, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. Okay, so now they're going back. They're like, okay, we can't deal with this right now. We just need to go back and prove that what we think happened really didn't happen. Because if we can disprove that, then we don't have to sit here and debate this. And so they're like, no, he wasn't blind. This isn't the same guy. So they called the parents of the man who received his sight and asked them, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, well, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. <clears throat> for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he was of age, ask him. Ooh, that's some great parents, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe that's why he was begging on the corner to begin with. Like, you're on your own, right? You're on your own. Maybe there was a lot of guilt and shame associated with him as their son and the whole thing, and he has been cast out on his own to beg. It's the same thing. So they are speaking the minimal truth, minimal truth that they know. Yes, he was our son. He is our son. And yes, he was born blind. Now, as far as anything else, um, who it was or what we believe about it, don't ask us. You ask him. He is of age. They don't want to step in it. Why? Because they know the environment. They know the legalistic bullying mentality of the religious leaders. And if they say a belief that is against what they desire, you will be what? Cast out. You will be kicked out of the fold. Yeah, I would like to say that uh, we never experienced this uh, environment in the church today, but I can't say that. Sometimes I feel like as protectors of theology, Sometimes we get very um, bullish and this is the way it is and we begin to go away from the scripture into telling people about how to play that out in their life and what that looks like and this is what we do and when they don't live according to what our beliefs are, we what? 
we boot them out. And so in this situation, this sheep, see that that's going to play in the next story that I believe is still attached to chapter 9. Okay, but I just want you to have that in your mind. So, verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. (laughs) Okay, so now they've come back and they're like, okay, here's a way we can just pass over this whole thing. It's God that healed you. We know that this man is a sinner. And I'm gonna tell you, there was an opportunity if this man had fear of this group of people, he could have just gone with that. He could have walked out and it would have all been said and done. But he didn't do that. This is what he says. Which by the way, he had given glory to God, hadn't he? Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, listen, (laughs) whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I love this so much. He used his testimony, simple testimony. I don't know about all that, what you're talking about. I don't, I don't know if he's a sinner. All I know is I was blind and now I see. That is my testimony. And you know what? I I heard this from someone, I can't remember who it was, but I remembered it and wrote it down. It says, don't give up on what you know for what you don't know. Don't give up on what you know for what you don't know. Don't get so sidetracked. People walk away from the faith because they get confused about the areas that they don't know. No, what do you know? I was blind, but now I see. There's always things we don't know. Put it in a file and say, for later. Because I believe that the revelation of God is progressive. I believe that that's how the Bible is. The Bible is the progressive revelation of God. In my life, through situations, through teaching, through people, my revelation of who he is and my knowledge of who he is has grown over time. But I promise you, even in the end, there will still be mystery until we see him. We will not have all the answers. And so the point is that I'm gonna hold on to what I know. And I'm not gonna get so sidetracked about what I do not know. He knew this, I was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. Isn't that it? How do we defeat the enemy? by the blood of the lamb and the power of your testimony. You can say, you know what? I don't know about all that. Not an expert on that. I don't know. But what I do know is what he's done in me. I was blind, but now I see. They had all of this head knowledge, 
but he had transformational knowledge of who Jesus is, and that was his testimony. They said to him, what did he do to you? They keep berating. They just can't let it go because they can't. They refuse to believe what is in front of their eyes. How did he open your eyes? And he answered them. And I love this because he's more logical than they are. I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Do you want to follow him too? Is that what you need? You, you keep wanting me to tell the story because you actually want to follow him too? They flip out and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. I think this is so interesting. We are convinced that God spoke through Moses. Were they there? And do you remember Moses saying, why in the world will they believe me, God, when he, he goes? I think I wrote down the reference. Hold on. Exodus 4. Why would they believe me? And God says, I'll tell you why. Throw down your staff. And what did it turn into? A snake. Good girl. And then he picked it up again, right? And then do you remember that he put his hand in his cloak and he brought it out and he had, it was leprous and he put it back and it was healed and and then he also, uh, he basically, he goes on and he says, this is why they will believe you because you will perform what? Signs and wonders, right? That's why they believed that he was from God. And these guys believe it because it was passed down from generation to generation, the stories of Moses and the law of Moses. But now they are looking at someone who is performing the signs of God, very similar to Moses, right? The miraculous catch. I mean, I mean the, the miraculous food, the, the bread that he provided, the feeding of the 5,000. And yet they refuse to see what is right in front of their eyes. And, and this man says this. The man answered, well, that's an amazing thing that you guys don't know where he's from. <laughs> he's like, you do not know where he comes from? You experts can't see it? Yet he opened my eyes? Like, he's like, oh, who's blind here? We know that God does not listen to sinners. How does he know that, by the way? Who's preached that at him? Them, okay? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God, by the way, is that true? Does God listen to sinners? Well, yeah. I mean, he hears the sinner's prayer, right? I'm pretty sure that when Hagar was running for her life, he, she said that God hears me, he sees. Is he obligated? He's obligated with his children, but he hears sinners, uh, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. There has never been ever in the history, y'all know this Pharisees, any time where a man born blind has ever been healed. This is a miracle from God. And you guys are wondering where he came from? And you're asking me? 
If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Well, there you go. There it is. They lose it. They tell him, you were born in utter sin. That brings us back to the very first question of the chapter. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? What do they do when they can't answer the questions? They shame. That's what they do. They shame. And I don't know if you've ever been in a, an argument where when you bring up good, uh, you know, good arguments and you're in this logical thing and they just literally will not open their eyes or their mind to even consider any other thing or find any compromise or have a conversation, what tends to happen? They shame. They attack you personally. And that's exactly what they're doing to this man. And they attack him. And then the last part is just heartbreaking. What do they do? At the end of chapter nine, they cast him out. They throw him away. They throw him away. And this is why we enter into John chapter 10. They cast him out, but look who finds him. God finds him. You're right, little girl. I'm not to John 10 yet. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, you've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. I love it. They cast him out, so we're gonna see that the good shepherd, he's gonna go find him. And when he goes to find him, he asks him, do you believe? Do you believe in the son of man? And he says, who is that? And he said, you're looking at him. And he says, Lord, he acknowledges him, I believe. And he says this, Jesus says, for judgment, I came into this world. Now that can be confusing, can't it? Because in John chapter three, he says, I did not come to judge the world, but I came to save the world. But he says this, this is what the judgment looks like. For judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see. So I'm gonna shine a light. And those who didn't see will see. And they will walk into the light realizing that their works have been done by God. And those who see may become blind. Those who see the situation and decide they're gonna walk back into the darkness. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, hmm. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Yeah, if you were blind, then it would actually be understandable. But the fact is, no, you see. You see it all. It's evident to you. You're not blind. It's right before your eyes. But what? You are refusing to believe. And because you are refusing to believe you, yes, you are literally blind. It is your refusal. Why? Because you have no place for my word. He says, my word has no place in you. And in your refusal, you have become blind. 
And that is why he always says to them, oh, woe to you, you blind guides. You blind guides. I love the rest of that. Woe to you, you blind guides, those of you who strain a gnat and swallow a camel. Chapter 10. We're entering into the good shepherd, okay? But I need to preface it with Ezekiel 34. Okay, so go to Ezekiel 34 because you're seeing this play out before your very eyes. And it should have been playing out in their ears. These sheep that they were in charge of shepherding and taking care of, they cast out. They threw away. But the good shepherd went and found him and drew him back. Listen to Ezekiel 34. This is a prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. The word of the Lord came to me. And do you remember what he, the question he asked him? Do you believe in the son of man? The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. What has Jesus been doing this whole time? Healing the sick and the lame, going after the lowly in spirit and the poor, gathering up his sheep. It says, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths and they will not be food for them. You will not feed off my people anymore. You will not get fat and powerful and not shepherd them in any way. They are lost. Verse 11, for thus saith the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There, shall, there they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be their shepherd. 
the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. What's going on in your head right now? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. You see this playing out in your heart? Okay. I could keep reading, but let's, let's look at verse 23. It says, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. And he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. David is long gone in this. And so this is a reference to the Messiah that will come and he will be the shepherd to his people and he will go, he himself will go and search out that which is lost. Did we just see that? Here are the shepherds of Israel, those in charge of taking care of the flock. What did they do? They're feeding off the flock. And when the flock does not provide for them what they want, that if they're not of value, they cast them out. And Jesus, it says, goes and finds him. And he says, do you believe in the son of man? Who is that? You're looking at him. And he is gathering up his sheep. And so we enter chapter 10. It says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, by the way, I'm gonna teach chapter 10. I believe chapter 10, one through 19, belongs with chapter nine. I believe that it belongs right after the Feast of Tabernacles. This is all playing together. I believe when you get to verse um, 22, that there is three months that have occurred from verse 21 to 22, because we're going from the Feast of the Tabernacles, now three months later into the Feast of the Dedication or Hanukkah. Okay, does that make sense? I believe this section fits with what we just saw. And when we come back at the Feast of Hanukkah, they're going to bring back up the topic where it was left off, okay? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, to him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. The story of the sheepfold and the good shepherd. There's a great deal of Old Testament background for this. I want you to see some. All through the Old Testament, God is referred to as the shepherd of his people. So let me just give you a few. Genesis 48, 15. Psalm 28, 9. Psalm 80, colon, 1. And then obviously Psalm what? 23, uh, God had also appointed shepherds for his flock, right? Moses would have been considered a shepherd, right? He led his people out with his staff. He led them into pasture. Um, he gave them 
made them lie down in green pastures. He gave them manna. He brought them water. He protected them. Uh, and, and actually, when Moses uh, retired, um, he, he says in Numbers 27, 16 through 17, he asked God to appoint a new leader so that Israel wouldn't be like sheep without a shepherd. And who was that leader? Joshua. So then Joshua became the leader. So you have this idea of God being the ultimate shepherd, but he provided men to shepherd his people all along. And so, the, but at this point, we know that the shepherds of Israel have what? According to Ezekiel 34, they have failed. Okay, they have failed to be the good shepherds. Um, and we see this in the religious leaders in our stories who care about their own power, control, and traditions more than they care about the sheep. If you won't bow to us and our teaching or our authority, you're out like the blind man. So Jesus himself goes and finds him. With every miracle, with every teaching, he is proving all the time that he is the light of the world, that he is from God. And remember, there's a division. They're trying to decide the people. There's always a division. Who is he? Is he from God or does he have a demon? Is he telling the truth or is he a liar? And so he is going to step up and he is going to show them, no, I am the true shepherd. I am the good shepherd. How? He tells the story about a sheepfold. So let me describe it to you. There are two kinds of sheepfolds, okay? There is one that would have been in the village, which is the section we just read. And there's one that is in the country. And that's going to be in the next section. And that's why sometimes it gets confusing when you read it together. Okay, but this one that I just read about is in the village. And so it typically would back up to like a mountain. And that means that they would build three sides of this pen. And most of the time it would be out of like some kind of stone. It didn't have to be very high. It doesn't have to be very high to keep sheep in, by the way. But they would add some um, like shrub or um, in my mind, it's like bob wire, but you know what I mean? Some kind of thicket at the top to keep the wild animals or the wolves out. And so there would be three sides. And then in the front, there would be a gate. All right. So there would be a gate. And what would happen is every day as the shepherds are out with their sheep at nighttime, they would come in and they would put their sheep in this sheep fold. But it's the village. There's lots of shepherds and there are lots of flocks. And I mean, it's a small village, but they would all come and keep their sheep in the same fold. And then someone would sit at the gate as the gatekeeper. And then the shepherds would go get a good night's sleep. And then the next morning they would come back and they would call their sheep. I also love the fact that um, most of the time when they put them in the sheep fold, they would put their rod out, their staff, and the sheep would have to go under their staff, bend down to go under their staff. And they inspected every sheep as they went into the sheepfold to check. I mean, they knew them intimately. And they, they would have to bend down under the staff of the shepherd and be inspected. And he watched out over them. But the next day, they would come and they would call their sheep. So he is saying that when the shepherd comes, 
he would go through the proper gate, the proper entrance. He would show up and the watchman would recognize him and know, yep, that is the shepherd. And the sheep would recognize his voice. He came in the proper way. He didn't come under the cover of night. He didn't have to sneak. He came in the full light for all to see. And the watchman would recognize him. Reminds me of Jesus, Galatians 4.4. And when the fullness of time had come, the Messiah entered in. He came in full light. He came the proper way, fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies, showing that he actually was the good shepherd. And do you realize that he came and he was announced, he was recognized as the shepherd, he was tested. There were witnesses about him. All of his uh, good works witnessed and testified to who he was. The good shepherd came in the front door and he calls his sheep and they hear his voice. He calls his own by name and he leads them out. I love this. They were not branded. Do you realize that? There was no mark on them. They weren't branded. They weren't driven. They weren't prodded. What happened? He would come up and he would call them by name or he would have his own personal call. And when they heard that, they realized that was their shepherd. There's an old story that said that there was a court hearing with two uh, shepherds because one accused the other of stealing his sheep. And so they were going back and forth and arguing and the plaintiff is like, he stole my sheep and they, they couldn't get to the bottom of it. And, you know, they described the sheep and they would do all this. And the, finally the judge says, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Go get the sheep. And so they put the sheep out in the hall and they open up the door of the courtroom and the plaintiff, he says, okay, now call the sheep. And when the plaintiff called the sheep, the sheep just cowered and did nothing. And so he looked at the defendant and he said, call the sheep. And when he did, the sheep heard his voice and he came. That's how it happened. Wouldn't you love to see that? All of these sheep, and he comes and he plays a little ditty or he speaks and they hear his voice and they immediately rise up. He doesn't push them out. He doesn't prod them out. He does not whip them. He leads them out and they follow after him. They trust. They look up at him and they're like, we need to stay close to him. Why? He knows where he's going, right? Right? Sheep aren't the sharpest tool in the shed. <laughs> and in this, he contrasts the shepherd with the thief, who is the opposite. What does the thief do? He sneaks in. More than likely, under the cover of night. Oh, I like you. This is going to be your next Bible teacher on the front row. <laughs> under the cover of darkness, he does not come in the proper way. He comes to steal. And it says that the sheep don't follow a strange voice. They actually free from him, flee from him. So what must he do if they're fleeing from him? Grab, steal, snatch by force. Which none of that is for the sheep's good. It's for their what? Demise. If he's coming to steal the sheep, what does he plan to do with them? Slaughter them. It's about what he can get from the sheep. And so you have this contrast 
of Jesus saying, no, the true shepherd comes in the front door. He is fully recognized by the light of day, by the gatekeeper. Not only that, his sheep, they know his voice. When he speaks, they will recognize his voice and they will follow him and he will lead them. So many things right here remind me of what he's already taught about. Why does he say that to the religious leaders, you won't follow me? Because my word, my voice has no place in you. You claim to be the sons of Abraham. If you were the sons of Abraham, you would do what Abraham did. You claim to be the sons of God? No way, because if you were the sons of God, you would fully recognize me. Recognize me as my word. You don't know my voice. Why? Because I'm not your father. The devil is your father. The one who comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. I am the light of the world. I am the life of men. The darkness will not be able to overcome it. For those, my own did not know me, but for those who receive me, they will be called the children of God. They will know my voice. I can't think of any other way he could possibly be. I am a teacher. He has taught this all through the book of John. And the fact is, they do not see they are blind because they refuse. Does that not just scare the bejeebers out of you? Our ability to be prideful and arrogant and to hold our ground and literally refuse to see what is so plain before our very eyes. Oh God, may I never be that. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear. May I realize that these are your sheep. They are not my sheep. And as I try to protect uh, theology, that I turn into this brazen, harsh, bullying kind of leader. No, we lead. That's what we do. There's so much more to this, but we'll get back to it in two weeks. So you have two weeks to fully memorize chapter 10, okay? Because we've just touched the surface. We could sit and you could journal about that, personal things from that. Because I'm gonna tell you what, you can't recognize someone's voice you never spend time with. You can't. I can recognize people's voices, you know, and you miss certain people's voices. Sometimes I get online and I watch Zachary do things to hear his voice because there's intimacy there. Do you have an intimate knowledge of his voice where you know the rhythms of it? the sound of it, to follow. He's gentle. He is a good shepherd. He doesn't cast out. He goes and finds and he gathers his sheep. He is gentle. I am so glad I follow a shepherd like that. And next time we're gonna look that he's such a shepherd that he's willing to lay down his life for his sheep. Lord, thank you so much that you are willing to lay down your life for me. But not only did you lay it down, you had the power to raise it up again. What good would it be if my shepherd was laying dead, surrounded by three wolves? Where would I go from there? But God, that is not the case. 
You had the power to lay it down and you had the power to raise it up. And so you, have, you will always be with me. Lord, guide us as we leave here and bring us back together in a couple of weeks. But Lord, may we spend such time with you, the good shepherd, that we follow after you, close beside you, because you know where the pasture is, you know where the water is, you know where sustenance is. You warn us from dangers. Let us follow after you. Let us be able to recognize your voice and have intimacy. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible Study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you want to connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at It's Mary Shannon or visit itsmaryshannon.com.